Thanks for joining us for a special episode of The Capitalist Investor. You got Mark Tepper, and I'm sitting beside my buddy, Daniel Turner. You've probably seen him on Fox News, Fox Business. He's Dan the Energy Man. I like that title. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to be here. What's up, buddy? Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here, man. Glad you, you were able to stop by while you're visiting for a short period of time. I'm, I'm looking forward to this podcast, but probably more importantly, looking forward to dinner and drinks with you yeah. later on. <laughs> that too. You know? Absolutely. That's always fun. Um, so before we get started, I just want to give everyone kind of a, just a quick overview. Mm -hmm. So I know, I know Daniel through, uh, through our connections through Fox news, Fox business. Um, we started kind of conversating via Twitter and, you know, we've, we've hung out before, had some dinner and drinks, so we're going to pick up where we left off after we're done here. Um, but Dan, Daniel is founder of power, the future, you want to explain a little bit about what that is and what you do? Yeah, I thank you for the yeah. opportunity. Yeah, and it's different than what you all normally talk about. I mean, we are in the nonprofit world, yeah. um, which is different than the for-profit world. But um, I do political advocacy, and I do it on behalf of American energy workers. Um, I've been working in the energy space for some time. And, you know, there's a lot of people who go to D.C. They advocate for their position. They push their agenda. Um, I felt like your average American energy worker did not have the voices it needed yep. uh, in D.C. And so I started. Well, they certainly don't now. No, God, no. And look at the consequence. I mean, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. And what I love about energy, which is probably what you love about markets, is how complex they are. On the surface, they're very simple. Yeah. But when you start diving into, into the energy issue, you touch on foreign policy, you touch on national security, you touch on domestic issues. I mean, every issue we talk about right now that's in the media has, I could argue, an energy foundation. So energy runs the world. Energy powers the world. Yeah. So before we dive into some of the uh, maybe more specific questions I, I want to ask, What's your overall take on on energy or on, on let's say oil right now? I mean, oil is like maybe eighty five bucks a barrel yeah. right now. Um, what mid twenty twenty? It went negative yeah. for a very very short time frame. Negative forty. Ne negative forty. Negative forty. Man, I knew it was yeah. negative. I didn't know it was. It's bad. Whew. <laughs> it's a wow, bad, it's a bad time. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I've heard some people saying a hundred dollar barrels by you know yeah. before year end, and man, we're not even a full month in right now. Where, where do you think oil goes from here? What do you make of it back at 85 bucks? Yeah, my last prediction was not true. I, I, I was on Cavuto and I told him at the beginning of last year it would hit 100 by Christmas. And he would always ask me if I stuck by my my prediction. We did not. I think the Omicron. You, that was, you were pretty close, though. I, was, yeah. I wasn't off by much. Yeah, I don't know where it finished um, the year, but yeah. the overall trajectory was headed that way. But Omicron, yeah. I think, had a lot to do with that. Early November. Uh, Thanksgiving going into Christmas, this Omicron thing started to get legs. Yeah. And people started to pull back their spending, their travel. Um, we saw hits in the markets. People started to, be, to panic again, and oil started to back off. And so uh, uh, I, I'm not very optimistic on oil. And, and it's kind of weird. I advocate for the industry, but I don't want to see oil at $100 a barrel. I mean, it just hurts the American family. It hurts the American, American economy overall. The industry loves it yeah. to a certain extent, but it's not good for the country. But 100, 125 by summer, I think is totally. Wow. Um, that would crush the wallets of, of the American consumer. It really would. And remember, it, it's all time high was, I think it was seven or 2008, but 147. Yeah. And that was the highest. And we haven't been there in a while. We've had some great progress in the oil space in America that has increased supply. Yeah. Um, 
but we could we could go back that way. So, all right. So, I, I wanted to ask you about importing, exporting, because yeah. that's obviously a big deal, it right? Is, we we yeah. were during the the Trump uh, Trump administration, we became finally an exporter mm-hmm. of oil. Yeah. Um, that's not the case right now, and, and I always found it just so peculiar that when oil was 140 bucks a barrel, we were importing it. Yeah. And then we became the world's greatest exporter, or we had the potential to be when it was like 40, 50 bucks a barrel. Like, how was that a, a winning strategy in the first place? But let's, let's sidestep that. Why, how do you feel about us not being the exporter that we have the potential to be? Let's start there. Yeah, uh, 2019 was a banner year for the industry. We had uh, the most amount of oil and gas production in, in basically in history, the highest record uh, of, of profits, of, of revenue going to the federal treasury, uh, highest number of employed people. We lowered emissions more than any other country in the world, any other developed country. And and if you believe like the arguments against the fossil fuel industry, those four things shouldn't happen at the same time. Yeah. We shouldn't produce more for less money for the greatest number of people and lower emissions. But that's exactly what we did. The import-export thing is complicated because you get into the refining issue. Yep. And and we haven't really built a new refinery in a long time. There's a big NIMBY problem, which anyone who's an investor in anything that requires land and land use knows the NIMBY, not in my backyard, in case you're, your audience is very sophisticated. Yeah, they know the NIMBY. Yeah, they phrase, know. Right? So no one wants to build a refinery in their neighborhood. Um but the problem is we need more refineries, Yeah, right? We, we really do need refineries. Now, they're all concentrated in a certain area because of the laws of thermodynamics, right? It's a lot easier to refine something in a warm climate than yeah. in a cold climate. So we don't have a ton of refineries in Minnesota. We're not going to get them. So they're all in, in the south, um, and most of them are on the Gulf to export to other countries. I would love to see refineries everywhere. Yeah, yeah. We have to because it's, it, it's the only way to bring down price points for the average consumer, the average family to survive in this country. Yeah. What what do you make of the Biden administration, you know, pretty much on day one coming in and, you know, executive action after executive action, shutting down pipelines. And like, what do you make of that whole mess? I think especially for your audience, which is an investor audience, I think what's important to take away from Biden is that how much it has scared off investment. Investment in the oil and gas space is down 25%. Yeah. A lot of that is because of the Biden actions. So if you are going to, and this is a really market intensive and labor intensive, but, but capital and excuse me, capital intensive industry. You yeah. Need a, to, to drill a well, you need $35 million. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, this is yeah. not an easy adventure. Um, I'm not going to invest in this industry right now. I'm just not because- It's, like, know, it's almost like China. Yeah. Uninvestable. Yeah. And you, just have, you have too many people attacking it. Yeah. Um, so, so the investment side has really dried up a lot and that has hurt. And that's why we don't see a lot more coming online. But I think simultaneously also the investors themselves, the big banks- petrified of this industry because oh. you, you get some Greta Thunberg, you know, knocking on your doors in midtown Manhattan and they throw red paint on your, so Bank of America is out. Uh, um, I almost said Bear Stearns is out, but that's, I guess so I'm dating myself. They've yeah. been out for a long time. Yeah. God love them. But uh, Bank of America is out. Um, um, JP Morgan is out. Some of the biggest banks uh, will invest in this space because of the environmental pressure. Yes. All right. So I, I want to hear what you've heard about that, but here's here's what I'm hearing mm. in relation to um, stress tests and, and things like that. So I've heard a lot of people recently talking about how 
this administration is really going to apply the full court press, try and choke off funding Mm -hmm. for energy companies, specifically oil and gas companies, uh, to try and really shove this Green New Deal down people's throats. And I'm, I'm thinking like, how is that even possible? How can that happen? How do you do something like that? And I read a research report and it all made complete sense at that point. And what they suspect is going to happen is the Fed, when they're doing the, the bank stress tests, mm-hmm. they are going to consider any money that is on loan to an oil and gas company to be high risk. There you go. And they are going to therefore penalize the banks. Mm-hmm. The bank may fail its stress test and the banks over time are going to have to cut off funding to the oil and gas businesses. And I'm like, oh my God, they actually can do that. Yeah. They can do that. Yeah. This is the whole effort to have climate change be the driving force around a lot of the Fed decisions. Oh my God. And this is how we're going to do it. So you're going to choke off entire industries because they will now be considered high, high risk. So the Fed, they used to have a dual mandate. Right. They're supposed to still have a dual mandate. We all know that's really not the case because their third hypothetical mandate is prop up the stock market. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, first one's full employment, second one's price stability. They've not done a good job on price stability. Um, but it's almost like they now have a fourth mandate, which yeah. is climate change. Yeah. Which is purely political. Yeah. It's purely politically motivated. Um, and then those industries that are not considered high risk, which would be a lot of the green investment, uh, none of those stocks which I own, um, Full disclosure, I don't invest in any stocks where I advocate because I feel like that would be a little unethical. So yep. if people want to look at my portfolio, you don't want to be Nancy Pelosi? You know, uh, unlike Congress, I, <laughs> I, I should, right? Yeah. I should be investing. And when oil was down negative 40, there were some companies you could have bought in uh, you know, early 2020 and, and yeah. done really well on your return right now. Yeah. Um, but I don't invest in anything I advocate. But you're absolutely right. These high-risk ones, which are the high-risk ones, which are the green energy companies, um, they manufacture predominantly overseas, and they produce a product that is not completely reliable, but yeah. they will be rewarded for investing in those companies. Yep. All right. So I, I want to get to the Russia-Ukraine situation in yeah. a minute. But before we do that, last week during Biden's press conference, he said something that really, it struck a nerve with me. And I ne- I didn't hear anyone else on, on Fox or any other network bring it up. Mm-hmm. And I brought this up to some of my coworkers earlier today. I'm like, did you guys hear... Biden essentially defend Putin for for all of his actions. Did you hear what he said? And they're like, no, we didn't hear. I'm like, dude, he went climate change on on everyone. And he what he basically said is he started to defend Putin. It was something along the lines of, well, you got you got to understand, you know, the the guy he he lives in a place where where his frozen tundra is on fire. And uh, it's never going to freeze. freeze it. Dude, he went straight climate change. Never to freeze again. He went straight climate no. change. Like that is their playbook. It's no. all how do we shove the Green New Deal down everyone's throats, which I want to talk Russia, Ukraine. But before we do that, how can we bear the entire burden, the United States, for all this climate <laughs> change when China contributes 30 plus percent of the world's pollution and they're not no. they're not playing ball? No. 
China, how, how do we do it all? China has more pollution than America and the EU combined. Jeez. Way more, almost twice as much, but everything falls on our shoulders. He actually, in that same, in that, I'm glad you pointed that. that you, you caught I hadn't that heard anyone else say I it. I caught that and of course drove me insane. But he also said later on that Putin wasn't going to have an, an immediate large scale ground invasion because of, of the, the temperature and the, the weather conditions and the ground was frozen. I was like, but you just said the time was <laughs> never going to freeze again. So but it is frozen. So certain parts are frozen. Certain parts aren't frozen. It depends upon, you know, depends upon strategic placement of exactly. troops. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which way does the playbook go yeah. for you? He also said, uh, hey, look, uh, Putin, 40% of his revenue is generated from fossil fuels. He's not going to shut these guys off because he needs the money. His response should have been, well, then if if – why don't they buy liquid natural gas and oil from America like we were trying to do in the previous administration? Yeah. Or why don't all the green? Why don't all the European countries just go completely green and then you don't need fossil fuels? So it's like, why are you pushing them to have wind and solar? You're only pushing us. Right. You're telling them, no, you can keep buying oil and gas from Russia. It's fine. The guy needs the money. Yeah. You scratch your head and you say, well, who the hell are you the president of? And, and you know, there's um, those oil and gas jobs are high paying jobs. Yeah. Um. I've got several clients who who own energy services businesses, either in the Bakken or the Permian. And uh, I was I was driving around with the one guy one time, and he was you know showing us his his facility and all that stuff. And um, he's like, you know these these guys are making a hundred grand a year, and, and a lot of them are like convicted felons too, right? Which yeah. yeah. So he's like, my biggest problem right now, and this is five years ago when, when the labor market had its own, had different challenges, yeah. right? I mean, today, no one shows up to work. People don't even show up for job interviews anymore. I you saw know you that? tweet that earlier today. You said, if I have to hear about short staffing one more time. You know, I, I'm wondering how much of it is actually the staff yeah. not showing up yeah. versus we're running a crappy company and we're going to use that as an excuse. Yeah. And it might be 50-50, I wonder why I can't, like, on the shuttle from New York to Boston get a Coke, and they're like, sorry, because of the pandemic, we're no longer doing beverage service. I'm like, really? Yeah. Or you're just trying to save it anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even remember what I was saying now. Um, Let's talk talk Ukraine and Russia. Yeah. Right? Um, I I was just talking with a buddy who has a, a friend who's, you know, a big wig in the military, and he's leaving Northern Africa to head there like right now. Right. So it seems like whatever we're being told is probably not true. Um, What's your take? Like what's going on there? Is that, what's it really about? Um, I think it's, I think Putin is, is for the longest time has wanted to recreate mother Russia. We've always known that about him. Right. So he has always had very aggressive policies towards the former uh, uh, satellite countries that broke away after the Berlin Wall fell. Yeah. So Putin's aggression shouldn't surprise anyone. The reason why Putin is aggressive now is because oil is at 85 and that gas is at I think it was like 405 right before I came in. And they're a huge natural gas producer. He's flush with cash. Yeah. In the last couple of days, uh, Iran has launched a couple of uh, Iran backed Houthis have launched attacks uh, against the UAE. Why? Because Iran is flush with cash. Because yeah. this is where these countries make their their money. Look, one of the problems with oil and gas is that geology is geology, and we can't control where we find it. But the exception of America and Canada, 
most of the countries that have huge oil and gas deposits are not great countries. Yeah. Right. It's it's the Middle Eastern countries. It's Russia. It's Venezuela. It's and and that's unfortunate, but that is where they get their money from. So one of the advantages of energy independence, one of your earlier questions. Yes, it's great for our economy. Yes, it's great for for our national security. But it also really conveniently bankrupts our enemies. When oil yeah. is at forty eight dollars a barrel, Putin's barely breaking even. Ah, and, that but, makes sense. But now he's at eighty five a barrel, and that's just pure gravy. What do you do if you have a huge windfall here? Yeah, right. You know yeah. exactly what you're doing with that money. You're having fun, right? If you're Russian, having fun is going to war. <laughs> <laughs> it's not getting a new pool or something. Ah, good. You know, man. and so that's exactly what he's doing. And I think. Unfortunately, all the other rogue regimes, Iran, best example, are going to do the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, so that's the that's the the real heart of it. Is it just it starts from again energy and economics of energy. Yeah, no doubt, man. What are they? Black gold, right? Isn't that yeah. what they used to call it? Exactly. Know? And and it is it is pretty frightening, right? Yeah. I mean, it is it is pretty frightening when you look at what they're advancing in in Europe. It's even more frightening when you say, okay, so. And I know this is an investor show, but just, you know, your audience knows the whole purpose of NATO was to be this hedge against Russia, the, the back then the Soviet Union, right? We're going to be this, form this alliance. We're going to stop the Soviet Union from getting more influence in Europe. Fast forward to this year, we've got Germany building a pipeline to Russia. So NATO is now financing Russia. Then what the hell is the purpose of NATO? So like, so yeah. why why are we going over there? But Germany is like, no, we'll take we'll take the pipeline. Thank you. Germany already said we will not send anyone to Ukraine. Germany already said we will not give you uh, airspace to fly anyone over to the Ukraine. You can't cross the German airspace. Yeah. So Germany, if you're the German chancellor, you need energy for your country. Yeah. You get it from Russia. Yeah. Russians and Germans, if you know your history. Not best of friends. No, no, right? not at all. <laughs> so, so energy independence is it's it's so much more important for global stability. Yeah, and we had good global stability for the last couple of years, but boy, are we losing it on a we, daily basis. And, and we're we're throwing away an advantage we have so that we can. Oh, we were talking about the high paying. Um, Oil and gas jobs, yeah, which are now, how much do you make to to build a, a windmill? Yeah, you know, not as much. No, and a lot of the wind and solar jobs are technician jobs. They're installer jobs. They may be nice paying, but they are different skill sets that don't pay the same. Yeah, and quite frankly, most of the wind and solar we manufacturers in China. Yeah, even great companies like GE, the once great American company, they manufacture most of their wind in 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 China. Yeah, and so. We're going to forego American oil and gas to buy wind and solar from the communist Chinese. I know. I know. So we're, 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 we're financing our enemies on every angle, right? It seems kind of bizarre. Yeah. What, what, do, you, what do you make of the um, – kind, it's kind of like an EV mandate, you know? We, yeah. Mandate gets thrown around way too much because um, there's freaking mandates for everything now, mask yeah. mandates, vaccine mandates, all this crap. Um, but it almost seems like if you're not driving an EV electric vehicle by 2030, 20, whatever it is, like you're going to start to yeah. you're going to start to be penalized. I think last time I met you, I told you I, I called my dad, who was a broker for 
all his life. He's well retired now. God love him. And I said, I was thinking of shorting Tesla. I think I told you the story. Yeah. He was like, no, no, no. He's like, I'll tell you what, just mark in your head what your short position was. <laughs> and I will periodically call you to remind you what a bad decision it was. Um, and short, I, I was going to short it at 750. Yeah. It got to 2200 at split. Uh, it was pretty funny. So thanks, Dad, for the, the stock tip. Um, the EV mandate, it's a fascinating industry, right? And I'm sure in all of your audience and your your Wall Street world has been watching this industry. Heck, the one of the largest car companies now it hasn't even what's what's the name of it? Um, hasn't even made a car yet. The other electric EV company, um, Rivian. Rivian, yeah, hasn't even made a car yet, yep. and it's and it's now got a, a a market value greater than the big three, which I mean, is absolutely insane. It's insane. It's a fascinating industry. But it opens up a whole new set of problems, right? You need copper, you need nickel, you need cobalt, you need cadmium. Dude, how about lithium? Lithium's like up maybe five hundred percent over the last year. And where do they? Where do we go? Source it China, from, right? Most of this, um, yeah, most <laughs> of the mines are in China or they're owned by China. Yeah. And so with any other industry, any other investment. So now we're more make, reliant on China. Yes. And you have to find out like where all your sourcing comes from and where you, we talk about supply chain all the time. Well, let's look at the EV industry and say, what is, what is the supply chain of this? Heck, we have a, a chip shortage because we don't even make chips in America. I know. And we have plenty of, of gas, but we can't even get a, the, the, the combustion engine vehicle market alive. Yeah. So the EV market scares the heck out of me because it requires so many uh, sourcing from so many, again, the Congo, uh, uh, um, South Chile. Yeah. This is where we're sourcing to, to keep our economy afloat so you can drive your kids to soccer practice? Yeah. Whoa, I'll, I'll keep my Ford F-150, thank you. Right, right. Yeah, I, I get 13 miles per gallon in my vehicle. But it, but it works it all does. the time. It works all the time. And it's great in the snow. Yes, and the electric vehicles at a certain price, at a certain temperature, they don't they don't turn on. And if anyone doesn't believe me, take your iPhone and stick it in the freezer tonight. Yeah, fully charged, and yep. then just wake up in the morning, and it will be dead. Yeah. So you find these these people in places like Chicago who have Teslas. You have a polar vortex. They wake up, and and their Tesla's dead. Oh. So what's the purpose of this one hundred and forty thousand dollar car if it can't get too cold? Yeah. It can't get cold. Which, by the way, like. All right, so as it relates to Tesla, I've never been able to get that damn stock right. I mean, I was bearish on it before the stock split at 200 bucks, which I I forget what the stock split was, 10 to 1, 5 to 1, I don't know. Um, That stock doesn't trade on fundamentals, man. It just, you, it is, it would be the scariest thing in the world to short, you know, um, do I think it should be trading at 900 bucks a share or whatever it's at today? Absolutely not. Yeah. I don't. Um, but investors, they want to buy into that hope. Yeah. I, I've never, again, this is your world more than mine, way more than mine. But in terms of, of, of investing in a company, I've never seen a company that produces a product on pretty much such a small scale with such a high valuation. Apple is through the roof, but I have three Apple products on me. I'm looking around. Yeah. You all have Apple products. I mean, yep. everyone has Apple products. But Tesla, besides the delay, the price point is one hundred is, is eighty thousand is the is the basic one. Elon said five years ago this thirty five thousand dollar one was going to come out, whatever it was called. The yeah, three, Tesla. still or waiting for it. That, yeah. Still waiting for it. So again, the, the, I don't know who these people are buying an eighty thousand dollar car. It's not your average American. Well, the Model S Plaid, which I think is one hundred forty or one hundred fifty grand, that's like their highest end vehicle. It's not that sexy of a vehicle. It's a little buck, like, like 
stubby. It's and just it's... they they haven't given it. <laughs> there's been no facelift of that thing since no. they. I don't remember when they rolled it out ten years ago. I don't know. They haven't changed it at all. You'd think that if you're spending 150 grand for a car, it's going to look really badass. Yeah. It's just it's it's nice. It's yeah. a nice car. Don't get me wrong, but it's you know it doesn't doesn't do it for me. And again, it makes perfect sense if you well if you can afford it. If you are driving from here to downtown back home, fifteen miles, commuter car, commuter car is great. Yeah. But if you are driving cross country and you're taking your kids to Vail to go skiing, yeah. What do you do? You know, at the halfway point, where do you find not just where do you find a charger, but how, you sit there for three hours and charge the car. I'm not doing that. No. I just told you about my drive to Indy back and forth, man. I'm not going to sit there for hours and hours. No way. And so, again, these are just the drawbacks. And so I don't have anything against electric vehicles in terms of an industry. I think it's fascinating. But but I think when it comes to the whole green movement, whether it's wind and solar or whether it's electric vehicles, I'm a fossil fuel advocate. I will always be a fossil fuel advocate. But I will be the first to admit that they have their drawbacks and we should talk about them like adults. Wind and solar and electric vehicle are posited to us like they are these perfect, flawless substitutes. They have real major financial market drawbacks, uh, reliability drawbacks, and we never talk about them. In fact, we kind of hide them from the general public. I think if the how, do you, how do you power the charging stations? It, well, yeah. <laughs> I guess with wind and solar, but I, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's going to work. Wind and solar. Yeah. The, the amount of land, the, the solar and wind argument annoys me because I'm a city kid. I'm from New York. Your audience can hear my accent. I'll never lose it, even though now I live on a farm. Um, but the amount of land you need to power a city, if we were to have wind and solar, my my legitimate calculations, like good, you know, I'm, I'm not that stupid, even though I may sound it. <laughs> New York needs at least a million acres of land of wind and solar. Good luck. Where is there a million acres? Manhattan is 45,000 acres. Queens, where I grew up, is 80,000 acres. New York needs a million. Wow. Where are you getting this land? And, of course, the further away you move something, those transmission lines, you lose electricity just through through attrition, through osmosis, through it. You know, it has to be close to the city. So goodbye, Connecticut or Jersey. Yeah. Or Cleveland. I mean, there's 300 Cloudy days a year. <laughs> how so, how effective is solar going to be in a place like Cleveland or yeah, Seattle? Like it's that's dicey stuff, man. It is. So, what do you make? My personal opinion is like there's no doubt EVs are going to be the future. Yeah. We're we're headed in that direction, and the more we try to fight it, the 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 worse it's going to feel, mm-hmm. right? But. I feel like it's going to be a long transition and you need to take a hybrid approach to energy for at, at least the next 20 years, if not longer than that. Like there, yeah. there's got to be balance. This is something that's not going to happen overnight with the snap of some fingers. Yeah. This is a long process and there's still a need for fossil fuels. Absolutely. Right. Um, and natural gas is like, that's, that's clean energy. If you ask me. Yeah. No one really gives you credit for that. But um, so, I, I mean, what, what's, your, what's your take on that? I, I called my organization Power of the Future because I don't know what the future holds. Um, but I know whatever the geniuses are who are going to perfect our energy or our, our, our transportation methods, those people right now are way smarter than I am, that's for sure. They are working in a lab or in a factory that uses conventional energy. And if we punish them now, we are punishing our future. So, yep. yeah, I agree with you. EVs may very well be the future. Wind and solar could be perfected to the point that – that. It, but we're not there yet. Yeah. My concern is that we are punishing what works 
with the hope of something that has without been proven a doubt. to not work. Without a doubt. For yeah. the cause of saving the planet, yeah. which we can't do by ourselves. No. Not if, not, if, <laughs> not if we follow the global climate philosophy, not if we don't get India, China, Russia, Brazil on board. We are not a benevolent institution. We're a freaking country. Yeah. We have a, there, we have a checkbook. Money goes in, money goes out. We may not act like we have a checkbook because we always spend more than we take in, yeah. right? Um, but, you know, that was whether most of my listeners probably like President Trump, okay? Uh, but whether you liked him or not, the guy was a businessman mm-hmm. who understood a lot of these things as opposed to a career politician, mm-hmm. you know? And we can, we can bash Biden all we want, Um you know, he's been, what, in Washington for 40 years? Right? 72, he was elected. Wow. So Long time, man. Long time. Almost 50. Long time. Yeah. But there's something to be said about understanding dollars and cents, money in, money out, running things like a business, and, and kind of understanding that um, we're not a benevolent institution. Yeah. We need to make money. Yeah. We need to make money. Um, and we can't always, we, we can't. Why are we the ones that always have to sacrifice for the greater good of the world yeah. while our adversaries are doing the exact opposite? Yeah. And something I think the president got so well that I saw in my industry in 2019, and I think your listeners, we, we talk about that phrase, free market capitalism. And I think much to Donald Trump's credit, free market capitalism, what he did in 20, what, what, what materialized in 2019, but what he did in his presidency when it comes to energy we didn't find any new oil or gas deposits. We didn't create a new technology. He let the free markets be free. He yeah. removed so much unnecessary burdens of government, of regulation, of EPA, of Department of Interior, of Department of Energy, of of FERC. So many of these bureaucrats in D.C. who have all this power that they just love to tinker. When you remove that, a free market did what it always does. It produced a greatest amount at a lowest price point for the greatest number of people in the most efficient way. Like I said, we lowered emissions and and and, and he deserves the credit for that because he just allowed it to happen. And yeah. every industry, healthcare, manufacturing, if government got out of the way and let what free market people do best, they will produce more for less for the greatest number of people. Government just screws it up every step of the way. Oh my God, they're terrible. Terrible. All right, last thing I want to ask you. I thought I found this very interesting when you shot me over your notes. What is the myth about the green movement you think people should know? Yeah, dude, yes. I've been waiting for this one, man. Um, that they're not all made of fossil fuels. Okay. And that's what annoys me about the, the people who say we need to keep it in the ground. Keep it in the ground. No more oil and gas. Yeah. All wind and solar is made from oil and gas and coal. One of those wind turbines, and you see a lot of them out in the country now, um, to anchor that thing in the ground, because you want to anchor it, right? Yeah. Otherwise, it, it will take off. <laughs> yeah. So there's about 20,000 tons, uh, which is which is 25 uh, cement trucks, 20,000 tons of, of cement and rebar for each one. The only way we know how to make cement and rebar right now is burning an awful lot of coal. We don't know how to make steel without burning coal. So you can burn coal to make cement to put in a wind turbine, but you can't burn coal to make electricity. No, that's bad. Yeah. So that's the biggest myth is that people say, well, we go wind and solar. We don't need these things anymore. Well, they'll, it, they'll, it's just a lie. you'll need them and they'll keep that part hush hush. Yes. You just right? leave it a different way. No one's, no one's going to know how that all happened. We right? will use more wind and solar to be green than we would if we just pretended it didn't work. Seriously. Like it doesn't. <laughs> it's unbelievable, man. 
Well, Daniel, thanks for your time, bud. Why don't you let everyone know um, how to reach out to you if they have any questions? Yeah, it's powerthefuture.com, and I'm Daniel at Power of the Future, and I'm always liking your tweets, so if you can find I like yours too, man. (laughs) Dude, I'm kind of jealous. You got more followers than me, I get a little angry sometimes. I go on my threads. I wake up, and something's just bothering me, and I just have to get it out, but that's okay. That's good, man. It is. People like that, right? It's not all, I I can't always say like, Hey, Apple's earnings are, you know, sometimes I just like, I'm pissed off about this. Right. You just, it's like a one liner and then you go away. It shows you're human also. I mean, we're, we do TV and media and stuff, but we're still normal people. Yeah. All right, my man. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you soon. The opinions expressed in the podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any investment, legal, financial, or tax strategy. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. Please consult a qualified professional about your individual needs.